Hello, everyone. Welcome back again to another episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me today. Another very important episode. What I'm going to be covering today, I have been intending to get to this for about four or five years now, and I'm just now finally getting around to it. And that is, I'm going to talk about the book, The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. And I want to talk about the bewitching of an entire generation. Now, I am not, I don't believe I am being dramatic in this podcast and with the things I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to just show you how an entire generation was bewitched. And I am not trying to be sensational. I'm just trying to show you the facts. But before I get into some of the details of this book, a lot of people my age probably aren't even familiar with this book, but this was a major bestseller in the 70s. There were several printings of it. It shows in here the first one was in 1970, in May of 1970, and then it had 34 printings going all the way into October of 1973. So this book sold millions of copies. This greatly influenced an entire generation. Now, I was not alive in 1970, but I'm uh, based on conversations that I have had with people and that were alive during that time, based on history I have seen play out. I am not going to credit a lot of the teaching that a generation taught all to Hal Lindsey. Typically what happens is uh, there's a there's a movement or a teaching that gets big in a generation. Where you can trace it to, it's really hard to say. But there's always somebody out there who takes that, capitalizes on it, makes it big, makes it mainstream, and they make a lot of money with it. And I believe Hal Lindsey was that individual. I think he just did a very good job, you could say, of putting the the thoughts and ideas that had taken hold on a generation into a book and sold millions of copies and and it kind of became his thing. Same thing, we all saw this happen with John Hagee with the blood moons. John Hagee did not come up with the blood moons theory, but he did make it big, he did make it mainstream, and he looked like a bigger idiot than Hal Lindsey. And so... Uh, you notice the dramatic picture that I have behind me. This is a uh, you know, picture just of tribulation coming on the earth. Very dramatic. And uh, it kind of reminds me of just the this book and kind of what it did to a generation. The kind of images it put in people's minds that have been cemented in their minds. And you can't get it out of their head. And so a little backstory before I get into this book. So whenever I started... Uh, understanding the truth about certain things with end times, I kept asking myself the question: How did the previous how did how did the previous generation get this wrong? I mean, these are people I trusted, people that uh, you know. When it comes to most things, uh, doctrinally speaking, they are right. But when it came to end times, not only were they completely unable to prove their position from Scripture, but their positions were so specific and they were so similar yet they weren't in the Bible. And I'm thinking, how did this happen? Who put this in people's minds? And I and we had a lot of conversations like that in our church. Like, just, you know, where did this come from? Everybody's been saying this. I have heard this stated my whole life. I've heard it stated as a fact. 
and I can't find it in the Bible. And somebody mentioned, you know, that's older than me, uh, Hal Lindsey's book. And uh, he went and bought a copy, gave it to me, and I read this book. And all of a sudden it became very clear where what happened to the previous generation. It became very clear where they got their talking points. And you're going to see in this book the methods that he used, the arguments that he makes, the state, many of the statements that are in this book. You, If you have been in Baptist churches for any length of time, you have heard this come from pulpits. Now, am I saying they all read Hal Lindsey's book? No, but I'm saying this book affected nearly an entire generation. And as a result of that, things have been being repeated uh, preached and just repeated that have no basis in the scripture or no real basis. You know, it's based on misuse of the scripture. And if your pastor is older than me, he for sure has probably said many of these things. And what, what you realize when you read this book, now that time has passed 53 years later, 53 years later, all of a sudden you understand what happened, and it's very telling. So let's go into some of the things in this book. And I want to talk about the bewitching of a generation because something happened not long before, not that long before 1970. Something happened on the earth that literally bewitched nearly an, nearly an entire generation. There were exceptions. Thankfully, there were people speaking out against this during that time but sadly, they were a very small minority, but it was definitely, definitely around. And that word bewitch, it, mean, it means to malign. That is to fascinate by false representations. And so we're going to look at a scripture on that in a little bit. But I want to talk about, though, the sensationalism that we see in this book in the very first page. Because this is something that is very common uh, with the previous generation of your typical pre-trib Zionist people. They use a lot of sensationalism. Again, this image behind me, you know, uh, it it represents just kind of the thinking in people's minds when it comes to a lot of stuff. It's very dramatic. And the very first, the very first page of this book, before you've even gotten to the title page, so it's before, let's read what it says. It says, you know... I used to come to the beach to get away from things, just relaxing of the waves to pound the shore. But now, even the ocean is a reminder that man may be running out of time. Scientists tell us today that we are approaching a time when the ocean may not be able to sustain life anymore. Well, this sounds like what people are saying today. The Secretary General of the UN recently told us that man has perhaps 10 years to solve the problem of survival. Isn't this funny reading this 53 years later? He pointed out the three great crises which are unique to this generation. The problem of nuclear weapons, the problem of overpopulation, the population explosion, the problem of pollution of our air and water. And he said, if we don't solve these problems in this decade, we are approaching the time when they will be beyond our capacity to control. Many are, for this reason, trying to find a way of predicting the future. Computer programs are being set up to try to project which may be the future of man. Many are even turning to astrology and witchcraft. 
I believe this generation is overlooking the most authentic voice of all, and that's the voice of the Hebrew prophets. They predicted that a man near the end of history, as we know it, that there would be a precise pattern of events which would loom up in history. Nations would fit into a certain power pattern, and all of this would be around the most important sign of all, that is, the Jew returning to the land of Israel after thousands of years of being dispersed. The Jew is the most important sign to this generation. And folks, again, listen to the drama. Listen, you know, and, and what is he doing? He's, he's, he's getting you all set up. You know, everybody, and, and that's what he does in the first chapter. In the first chapter, it's all about how the world is looking for answers and the different pe- and how different people in our world are looking into things like astrology, witchcraft, just trying to get a glimpse into the future if they would only read what the Hebrew prophets had to say. Not what the Word of God has to say, you know, the Hebrew prophets, what they had to say. And so he builds, so he starts out, Get, talking about all these methods that people are using, and it's all kind of a buildup. And, and folks, this setup that he's doing right here, I have heard this from pulpits my whole life. He says at the end of chapter one, we are able to see right now in this bestseller predictions made centuries ago being fulfilled before our eyes. We're, we're just seeing all these prophecies fulfilled. You know why? Because the Bible is 100% accurate. And let me tell you, the Bible is 100% true. It's 100% accurate. We can fully trust it. But he's setting you up to make you think that what he is about to tell you that the Bible says is also a guaranteed thing. Hey, stop going to the fortune tellers. Come to me. Because I use the Bible to predict the future. Yeah, And again, He had it dead wrong. The previous generation had it dead wrong. And what's funny, if you listen to some older gray-headed preachers, sometimes they get up and they're still doing these same routines. And we, we now know these things are false. There are so many things they are still saying that are from this book where our world has completely changed, where this, he, he, he wrote everything to fit the situation in that generation. We have a new situation now that doesn't even resemble what he talked about here. And so when you listen to some of these old guys get up still repeating these things, it's just like I'm embarrassed for them. And again, they they were bewitched. The previous generation was bewitched. Now, I'm going to show you how in a little bit. So this was 53 years ago, 53 years. In some ways, that's not very long ago. In other ways, it's a very long time. If you go back another 53 years before this book was written, you're coming to the end of World War I. So think about how much things can change in the world in a 53-year period. And so um, it was very common in that generation where people were making very bold predictions and saying they knew it was true because they believed the Bible, but those things never came to pass. And you know what? It's because the Bible didn't teach the things. These people had a bad view of eschatology. They used a very poor hermeneutic and bad interpretation of the scriptures. And they made the, they ultimately made the Bible look bad. We're going to see, too, in this book, too. Uh, everybody's heard about the same book by Wisenant. I think is how you pronounce his name. You know, 88 Reasons the Rapture Must Come by 1988. And it didn't happen. 
But people were doing that back then. And and, and I heard preachers. I, I am convinced. I am convinced based on all the things I'm seeing, based on all the prophecies I'm seeing fulfilled, that the rapture is probably going to come in my lifetime. They always leave, an, they always leave themselves an out. But again, no, your basis was wrong. The things they were saying was wrong. And they, they did, they, they're, they're literally creating the scoffers that Peter talked about, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all, the thing, all things continue as they were. You've got to stop making these, you know, these bold predictions on these things, especially when your thinking is so far off. But that pre, the previous generation did that. My generation, they're not doing that so much just because they, they saw all that in the previous generation, how they were wrong. So they're a little more careful. So that's good. Uh, that's good. Uh, and, and the thing is, too, uh, that, you know, there is a generation that's arising that has not been bewitched by what the previous generation was bewitched by. But they do have their other influences that's kind of hurting them too. And one of the biggest problems they have is they are trying to remain loyal, you know, when it comes to all things eschatology, to a generation that was bewitched. And I and I know I'm probably being offensive saying that, but I'm going to show you why I'm saying that. And we're going to see this in this book. We're going to see what happened to people. So chapter two, um, he, he makes a quote in here that I know is because I heard so many, th- I read so many things in this book. It's like, I have heard that stated from pulpits my whole life, but I've, I've never heard anybody use Bible to prove it. But so it's like, so my, that was my question. Where did this come from? It came from this guy's book. He said, and it said some of the future events that were predicted hundreds of years ago, read like today's newspaper. Again, yeah, And, ah, you know, and this was in 1970. Okay. So was the Bible predicting events of 1970? It, was there that much? And we've been saying this now for 53 years. Did the Bible, does the Bible spend a lot of time talking about the last 53 years of our history? I don't, I don't think it does. Okay? I, I, I don't think it does. And I get, you know, I get signs and, you know, things leading up to it and all that stuff. But I'm just saying there was an over-dramatization of all of this stuff that just wasn't accurate. And so all of chapter 2, it's a routine that we all see many times, that we've, we've all seen many times throughout the years, where he goes through the Bible talking about the Old Testament prophets and how accurate they were, how they were 100%, which is true. But this is, this is a deceptive routine that prophecy preachers often do. They will go and tell you how the Old Testament prophets were always 100%. But then they are going to reveal to you their thoughts on how they think, are going to, how they think things are going to play out. And they act like it's directly from the prophets. The problem is, while the Old Testament prophets were 100%, the previous generation, they were 0% in their prediction of things. They've been 0%. And, and so the thing is, here's the difference. The prophets, they did have direct revelation from God. So, of course, everything they said was 100% true. Well, the problem with the previous generation, they acted like their interpretation of the Old Testament prophets was also, you know, some kind of revelation. But it wasn't. They were wrong. 
They were wrong on how they looked at things. They were wrong on how they used the prophets because of bad eschatology, mainly because of dispensationalism. And as a result of that, they made the Bible look bad. They were zero. The, the previous generation was zero, was 0%. Y'all understand that? 0%. Nothing that they were predicting was going to come very, very soon in their day before they died. A lot of these people are dead. None of those things happened. And they were saying those things are going to happen based on Old Testament prophecies. So what do they do? They build up your confidence in the Old Testament, which is fine. But then they use that confidence where all of a sudden they transition to where you're not hearing Bible anymore. You're hearing their thoughts of how things are going to play out. This was a very manipulative tactic that an entire bewitched generation did. You got to watch out for that. We need to understand some of these prophecies, while they are the word of God, they are difficult for us to understand. And so someone's understanding of those things might not be 100% and probably won't be. In fact, they can be. it's easy to be dead wrong on some of these things. We see even in the Old Testament, there were a lot of things people didn't understand. I mean, the Bible talks about too how when it came to the grace that was going to come to the Gentiles, that the prophets, you know, they diligently inquired of those things. They didn't even fully understand it. There were things Daniel wrote that he didn't fully understand. And an angel had to come and explain it to him. And he still didn't completely get it. But yet, what, are, what, are, what did the previous generation do? They took those same prophecies and then they said, I get it. I understand it. This is going to happen and according to God's word. And it didn't happen. Zero they were they were zero percent. So watch out for that method when people do that. It's it's very manipulative. And so chapter three, it's all about how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of the coming suffering Messiah, but not the conquering one. And so most of it is pretty good. But uh, I want you to notice the last sentence because he's doing something very manipulative again in this book, and it worked. And in verse forty or in, uh, page forty one. He says, many of these predictions were in the same paragraphs as those relating to the first coming of the Messiah. Do we dare allegorize away the meaning of these? Will these predictions be fulfilled just as certainly and graphically as those of his first coming? The writer says positively, yes. And listen, I agree that all the prophecies of Christ's second coming are going to be fulfilled like they were of his first coming. But do you remember understand that very few even understood what was happening at Christ's first coming? I mean, they, sure enough, it played out like the Bible said, but they still didn't fully understand it. And it's gonna, and it very likely could be the same thing with the second com- coming. And so far, that seems that's exactly how it is because everything the previous generation expected to take place and the way they said, this is what the Bible teaches. Folks, I believe this is going to happen. Why? Because I believe the Bible. But wait, it didn't happen that way. You know why? Because you didn't understand the prophecy. Again, some prophecies are very difficult. They are, there, are, there is such a thing as dark sayings in the Bible. It's not like the doctrine of salvation that is very, very crystal clear spelled out. Prophetic things can be very difficult, but you always have somebody and it, who wants to specialize in the difficult. Because, because it's hard to prove one way or the other. So if a very influential figure comes along 
And then they do, they'll just create this dogmatic position and all these things. And because they've got followings and stuff, people play along and they use it to manipulate, make merchandise of people. And it's very frustrating. And that happened. That happened in the previous generation. The, pre- the, the, the previous generation, they need to, you know, they need to confess what they did wrong. And, and you know what? If they're not going to, our generation needs to call it out. We need to confess the sins of our fathers, and we need to repent of those things so we're not having the same problems because it was bad. The, the prophecy preaching that went on in the previous generation was really bad, and it's still affecting a lot of people today. And the older somebody is, you'll find out too, the harder it is to get them to come around in these things because they were closer to the bewitching that took place. And, and, and thankfully, I came along late enough where I missed a lot of that stuff. So chapter 4, it's all about Israel. And I want to read this section to you. I've got, I got several sections because, folks, here's where people were bewitched. And you say, why are you using that word? Well, in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth crucified among you. This only what I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Galatians 3 and 4 is probably one of the most ignored passages, I think, in the Bible by the previous generation because it proves they were wrong about Israel. Galatians 3 and 4. And what is Paul dealing with? He's dealing with a people who were influenced by Judaizers who were trying to incorporate the things of the temple and the things of the law into salvation. And Paul called it bewitching. They, they were bewitching these people, people who should have known better. It was, it was Judaizers. He's calling out Judaizing there. And the previous generation got nailed with this. They got nailed because of a very special event. You could say that they got completely hoodwinked with. And, and it's high time they confess their error. And if, if they won't, listen, if the previous generation will not confess their error in this area, they will never get things right and figured out biblically. It's just not going to happen. They, they're going to continue being stuck behind that brick wall. And they need to admit what happened to them, but they're, they're not going to do it. And the previous generation was bewitched. And here's why. But the fourth chapter is called Israel, O Israel. And he says, the general time of the seven-year period couldn't begin until the Jewish people reestablished their nation in their ancient homeland of Palestine. So what is he doing here? He's like, he makes a huge deal through this whole chapter about 1948. Folks, 1948, that showed us this thing's about to shut down. This was a fulfillment of prophecy. That's what he, he was declaring, 1948, a fulfillment of prophecy. And I'm t- 1948 is ultimately what led, you know, the realizing the foolishness of that is ultimately what led me down the path away from dispensationalism, pre-tribulation, all that. Because without a doubt, I knew we were being led up a creek there. Uh, I'll read another section here. It says, secondly, each one of these spheres of power is a major factor in the final great war called Armageddon, which is to be triggered by an invasion of the new state of Israel. Hey, now, again, 
this was interesting too when I was studying end times on my own. I'm like, why does everybody call it the Battle of Armageddon? Why why is there always this Battle of Armageddon where everybody's coming after Israel, everybody's coming after the Jews? That's not actually what's in the Bible. We do see a section where armies are getting ga- gathering together in, in Armageddon, preparing themselves for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. But it's very clear that the battle that we see uh, that the prophets talked about, you know, where the blood flows of the horse's bridles, that everybody connects to Armageddon. And I'm not going to take time to prove that. I'll probably do that in a future video. That's in the Valley of Jehoshaphat that's right outside of Jerusalem. And without a doubt, there are uh, there's a lot of symbolic things in there. Again, everybody, everybody makes Revelation symbolic when they need it to and literal when they need it to. And this generation was no different. But, but either way, if you, he's trying to be literal. If you are literal, you need to understand Armageddon, that battle of the great day of God Almighty, it's not fought in Megiddo. It's fought at Jerusalem. But um, he, this is what he said. This is what everybody was saying. I don't know. I don't, this is not based on Bible, but this is, I'm not trying to be picky, but this is a pretty big error. And it just shows that the fact everybody's saying that is just kind of this, again, this thing, you know, if you say it loud enough, long enough, people will just eventually believe it. So, Uh, Let me read this other section. He says, many Bible students in recent years tried to fit the events of World War I and II to the prophetic signs which would herald the imminent return of Christ. Their failure discredited prophecy. Exactly. And you did the same thing. You did the same thing. In your generation, you made a big deal about 1948, acting like now everything is imminent. Now things are about to play out. And you discredited an entire generation. And we're seeing, I mean, a lot of uh, my generation is going into things like full preterism and stuff like that. And I think it's just because uh, they've been so turned away from all things prophetic because of just bad teaching from the previous generation. He says, he goes on to say too, uh, the, the one event which many Bible students in the past overlooked was this paramount prophetic sign Israel had to be a nation again in the land of its forefathers. And I'm sorry, but uh, that, and, and one of these days too, this is another subject. People don't even really understand what happened in 1948. It is very complicated. It's actually not near as big of a deal as people have made it out to be. I mean, it, there something happened in 1948 for sure. I mean, politically, it affected things in that area, but it wasn't, it's not all that people have claimed that it is. It is a very, it is a very complicated situation. And when you fully understand the details of what happened, then you understand these people, they took something insignificant that happened and they made it a really, really big deal. But most are not familiar with the details. They're just letting prophecy preachers tell you this was a big deal. Trust me, this was a big deal. Well, no, I've actually looked into it. It really wasn't that big of a deal. What you all are claiming happened and reality hasn't really happened yet. So uh, that's another subject for another day. But it's like when when you look at what people are saying about that, I've always been like, where did that come from? And then you know you read this book, there it is. So another thing he says, the nation of Israel cannot be ignored. We see the Jews as a miracle of history. 
Even the casual observer is amazed how the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have survived as a distinct race in spite of the most formidable odds. What other people can trace their continuous unity back nearly 4,000 years? Um, here's my question. Can they? Can they? Now, you're not allowed to say that. Okay, you're not allowed to say that. But understand this concept of us, you know, uh, you know, having to respect people's identity, their gender identity, all this stuff. While that might be a newer thing, that concept goes back a lot farther. Where if somebody claims, says they're you know, a Jew, how dare you question that? If they say, I can trace my ancestry back to, you know, the ancient Jews, how dare you question that? Folks, there's never been any proof of that. They can't do it. It's impossible. It literally is impossible. They are just telling you that they can. They're not offering up any proof, and yet, but yet people just go along with it. And if you need it to be true to fit your theology, you'll believe what they say. And you will never see the evidence because it doesn't exist. And you won't need the evidence. The fact that you've got some guys wearing a funny hat telling you that they have it, that's enough for you. Because you you need that to be true to fit your theology. But that that proof does not exist. People are just telling you that. They're, they're, they are telling you that. And they're impressing you with it. They're bewitching you with it. And you, you've been bewitched by these people. Um. It's, so it says, yeah, so it calls them a miracle of history. People talk about the miracle of the Six Day of War. Don't have time to go into that. But then on page 53, this was really interesting when I read this because, again, this, I heard people preaching this all the time. I believed it. I studied it myself because I wanted to preach it. But then I'm like, this doesn't even make sense. This is not true. And that is that parable of the budding of the fig tree. It says, and he says in here, when the signs just given begin to multiply and increase in scope, it's similar to the certainty of leaves coming on the fig tree. But the most important sign in Matthew has to be the restoration of the Jews to the land and the rebirth of Israel. Even the figure of speech, fig tree, has been a historic symbol of national Israel. When the Jewish people, after nearly 2,000 years of exile under relentless persecution, became a nation on 14th May, 1948, the fig tree put forth his first leaves. And so, it again, that was declared during that generation, the budding of the fig tree from Matthew chapter 24. And that is an absolutely ridiculous interpretation of Matthew chapter 24. If the fig tree represents Israel, then how come when Jesus cursed the fig tree and said, let no fruit uh, grow in thee henceforward forever, how come that doesn't represent Israel? Just the budding of the fig tree. No, it came back to life. No, here's what the budding of the fig tree is. This is all it is. He's saying when you see it budding, you know that summer is nigh. That's it. And so when you see all these other signs, the other things that he talked about, okay, and Israel becoming a nation was not one of those things. That was not one of the things he talked about. Then you'll know it's near, even at the door. And in either way, you look at it, Ultimately, that was about about 70 AD, and so uh, I've got I've got a bunch of stuff coming on uh, Daniel's 70th week. So um, you know, again, dispensationalism messed up the generation before them, and then this generate the generation that came up after that when they saw 
1948 take place, they were bewitched and then they took the dispensationalism uh, foolishness and they took it to a whole nother level. And so he says in here, what generation, obviously in context, the generation that would see the signs, chief among them, the rebirth of Israel, a generation in the Bible is something like 40 years. If this is a correct deduction, then within 40 years or so of 1948, all these things could take place. Many scholars who have studied Bible prophecy all their lives believe this is so. Now, did you hear what he said? Many Bible scholars who have studied Bible prophecy all their lives believe this is so. These are the ones he's talking to. And guess what? All of them were wrong. All of them were wrong. The people that he listened to, the people he is citing as, as credible, as authorities, they were all wrong. He said this in 1970, so he's pretty safe. He's got 18 years to peddle his book before he looks like a fool. 18 years, and he sold millions of copies within three years. But guess what? 1988 has come and gone, and nothing happened. All these, None of these things have happened. None of these things have been fulfilled. You know why? Because 1948 was not the budding of the fig tree. That was not the budding of the fig tree. And so, uh, this last section I'm going to read, and then this is all we're going to have time for on this, sub- on this subject today. But on page 57, uh, he says, oh, where is it? Oh, I must not. I must not have marked it. But in fit, oh, here it is. In a fascinating article written shortly after the recapture of Old Jerusalem, a reporter interviewed a famous Israeli historian, Israel Eldad. In answer to the question, "Do your people intend to rebuild the temple?" Eldad said, "From the time that King David first conquered Jerusalem until Solomon built the temple, just one generation passed. So will it be with us." The reporter was so startled by the answer that he asked, What about the Dome of the Rock, which now stands on the temple site? Eldad replied, It is, of course, an open question. Who knows? Maybe there will be an earthquake. Now, here's what's funny about that. Okay, so first off, it's been over 70 years now. So that's a longer period of time from when David conquered Jerusalem to when Solomon built the temple. More time has passed. So Eldad, he was also wrong. He was wrong big time. But that's what people have been talking about too for years. What about that Dome of the Rock? And you know, some people, I think it's going to get blown up. Some people, I've heard a lot of people, I think God's going to destroy it, maybe with an earthquake. Wonder where they got that. They got it from good old Eldad there. And here's the funny thing about it. He, and he goes on to talking here about how there are efforts to get the temple rebuilt. And folks, the efforts, and I, I've been to Israel I've been to the Temple Mount Institute after overcoming being bewitched. And and let me just share this testimony with you because, folks, this is 100% real. This bewitching is real. I did have some of it. When when I went to Israel in 2000 as a 19-year-old who believed everything I'd ever heard about prophecy in Israel and all these things, I, I remember when we went to the Temple Mount Institute, I was amazed. I was flabbergasted when they took us back and they showed us all the artifacts artifacts are going to go into the next temple i was just amazed at their beauty uh the gold the the craftsmanship all these things i mean i was blown away by it 
I went, I got, I took a picture. Uh, we, we weren't allowed to take pictures of the things inside. We were allowed to take pictures of the menorah that was on the outside. And I was just amazed at this golden menorah and just thinking about the value that was there and the fact these things are going to be used in a temple someday. I was blown away. I've, I've listened to preachers. Almost every preacher who's been to Israel has probably been to the Temple Mount Institute and he's come back to his church. They got everything they need. They got everything they need. They're ready to build the temple now. Folks, I went over there. We talked to them. I, I, I looked at those things again. Now that, now that the blinders are off, now that I know the truth about Israel, that bewitching is gone from my, from my mind. But even when I went to the Temple Mount Institute, I thought the artifacts were real. I thought they were real gold. I thought they were intended to be used in the next temple. And I remember I went in there and I looked at them and they looked really fake. They looked really lame. I, I was I was convinced they weren't even the same ones. Like these are not the ones I saw in 2000. I went, we went and looked at the menorah and I'm looking at it. It, it looks completely fake. It's not impressive. I'm look I'm looking at all these things. I'm like, these are not the same ones. And I asked around, I was like, are these are these all the same artifacts that you had, you know, back in 2000? And they said yes. And I'm like, and and I asked too, are are these gonna go into the third temple? I said no. I asked about, I had heard they have these warehouses where they have all the building materials stored ready to go for the next temple. The guy looked at me like I was crazy. You know what he, you know what he said at the Temple Mount Institute? Nobody's trying to rebuild the temple. Nobody's trying. Folks, most, there, there, there is a very small segment. You can find somebody in Israel that's a Jew that wants the temple to be rebuilt, that wants the Dome of the Rock destroyed, but they are such a tiny minority. Most are not interested in getting built. They are, and they aren't interested in it until the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes, they're fine because they think it'll all get done in these miraculous ways. They don't want to do anything to make it happen now because they know it'll cause a war. It'll cause a lot of hardship for them. It would cost a lot of money. It would be a lot of effort. So they're not interested in it. They're fine with it if the Messiah comes and just is doing all these miraculous things, defeating all their enemies, and they don't have to do anything. But they're not interested in it. And it was it was shocking to me. And just... The, the different takeaway I had, you know, now that the, now that the blinders are off and I'm telling you what happened, the, the reason you can't get through, you can barely get through to the previous generation when it comes to Israel, when it comes to the rapture is because they were bewitched. Okay. Paul said, who hath bewitched you? And you know who it was? It was the, it was the Judaizers. It was the circumcision. And you want to know who bewitched the previous generation? It was the Judaizers. It was the circumcision. It was those who reject, have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They, in this political movement, to get in, uh, you know, to, you know, get the nation of Israel started, they convinced the previous generation of a lot of foolishness, and they bought into it, hook, line, and sinker. And they discredited an entire generation. They discredited the Bible for an entire generation with their goofy interpretations of all things and times. What Lindsay accused the previous generation of doing with World War I and World War II, he did it with the events of 1948. And here we are, 
53 years later, and he, he was wrong. He was wrong about everything. And not only was he wrong, but all the people from the previous generation who repeated these things, they were wrong. And they made Bible prophecy look bad. And they need to stop saying these things. And I just recently, listening to an older preacher, he got up there and he starts talking about end times. And he just starts, he starts saying outdated stuff from this book that doesn't, it doesn't even make sense anymore. It is not relevant. And everybody does that. Everybody tries to make the Bible fit today's current situation. Okay, I, I, just, I understand that. And it's, it's fine if we want to speculate. But they stated it as fact, and they convinced a generation that it was fact. And some of these people, they're so loyal to their their mentors and things, they feel like they have to keep saying the same things. No, I would encourage people, if you can find this book, go read it. And when you just see how much stuff they had wrong, when you see quotes in here that you have heard from the pulpit, that you've probably even said from the pulpit, you're going to start, you start realizing, oh, this is where that came I, I thought that actually came from the Bible. No, it didn't. It, it, came from, it came from Hal Lindsey's book. So this is all we have time for today. But I wanted to talk to you about the bewitching of an entire generation. This is why it's so hard to get through to them. They need to lose the, the blinders. They need to pray that God will lift the veil from their heart. They need to get their eyes off Israel. I, I like what Pastor Baldwin said in my interview with him, that prophecy is either Israel-based or Jesus-based. We find fulfillment of prophecy in Jesus, not in Israel. We have to stop looking to Israel, and we've got to start looking to Jesus. And this guy got everybody looking at Israel. And you you know what they did? They bewitched an entire generation. The Apostle Paul, he was trying to get the Galatians to stop looking at these people because so they wouldn't be bewitched. So let's learn from their mistakes. My generation, the younger generation, let's learn from these mistakes and let's get it right this time because it's getting closer to the coming of Christ. And in either way, let's not make the same mistakes. We could easily do that. We could easily twist the Bible to make it fit today's situation. Got to watch out for that. We don't know these things aren't as clear as we think they are. Let's just always be ready by doing what we're supposed to be doing today in the present. That is what's the most important thing. So thank you all for watching this very special episode. I've been waiting to get to this for four or five years, and we finally got to it, so I feel so much better now. Thank you all for watching this. We'll see you all tomorrow.